0: We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through verse 10 today. And I was uh, curious to uh, find out if the surveys of uh, most people still kind of have the same results in regards to what people are afraid of. And I found this week in a number of surveys, there is always this one fear that rises to the surface with most people. What do you think that people are most afraid of? Death actually was like number four in some surveys and number five, which I'm amazed. What's number one? Not reject. There it was. Public speaking. I was like, come on. I'm like everyone is afraid of standing in front of anyone and saying something more than death. And I was surprised that a lot of the surveys, fear of death was like number four and five. It was crazy. And so then I began to think, okay, what about death? And I was wondering, what is the actual, factual, global death rate? What's the percentage? Anyone want to guess? It's 100%. 100% is the global death rate, you know, that everyone dies, uh, dead men tell no tales, everyone at some point will die, is what the statistics show us. And so then I said, well, okay, well, what is an actual definition of death? Better yet, what is the medical definition of death? And here's what I came up with. The medical definition of death is the irreversible cessation of all vital functions, especially as indicated by permanent stoppage of the heart, respiration, and brain activity. It goes on, it says a permanent cessation of all vital functions, the state of being no longer alive, or lastly, the state of being dead. And we many times think of death as something that's going to come upon us, something that everyone will experience, something that for many they're actually fearful of, and we need to today set our minds right that actually our lives begin with death. You might think, well, what do you mean our lives will begin with death? Well, this morning as we look at the text, the big idea is this, we can only be made alive by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can only be made alive by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'd like you to look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. We'll read this together this morning. I'm reading of the English Standard Version. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that in this moment that You would reveal to us things from Your Word, truths from Your Word that we haven't grasped fully. Things that we have not held on to or understood completely. We pray and ask, Holy Spirit, that your word would work in our hearts, that those who have already been made alive, that we would be encouraged to continue to walk in ways of holiness. We pray, Father, for any in this room who are dead in their sins right now, that you would make them alive today. We give you great praise and give you all the glory For the work that you do to save us and to make us alive. We ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning as we look at the text, um, I want us to look at these three things that are in your notes there. And the first one is you were dead. You were dead. Your life without Christ is what Paul is speaking of here in verses 1 through 3. And when you think of your life coming into this world that... Uh, we can We can go to Scripture and we can see that no one ever commits every single sin possible, but we do come into this world with sin and it 's so important for our understanding of Ephesians chapter two and the great work that God does to make us from uh, a dead person to a uh, an alive person by understanding uh, who we are without Christ. You see each and every person has inherited the guilt for the sin that Adam committed in the Garden of Eden because he represented humanity. Therefore, all of humanity has sinned because Adam sinned. And this is the seriousness when we read verse 1 of who we are when we're born into this world. Look at verse 1. It says, And you were what? Dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead on arrival when you were born into this world. And what we mean by being dead is being spiritually dead. Uh, that, uh, it, that there is this deadness in our soul that spiritually we are not alive apart from God. And if we truly want to grow in our understanding of God's grace... We need to grow in our understanding of how dead we are apart from Jesus Christ. That we're separated from God when we're born, that we do not love God, we hate God. God's word says that we're actually enemies of God. And you think, well, what about that little baby baby? You see the baby, you hold the baby, the baby's so cute, and it's like, hey, that baby starts to grow, and you see that that baby is a sinner, just like all of us, and that is the status that we are born into, spiritually dead. And I would say this this morning is to encourage you to look at what Paul writes here at these words, because I believe that I run into, I I see this, I run into too many Christians that wrongly believe that somehow we're alive just a little bit before God gives us life. And And we'll expand more on this, but that some people assume that When we are saved, we first, in us, desire Jesus, then we believe, and then we're made a new creature creature, uh, in in Christ, and the problem is that's contrary to what the Apostle Paul writes in the letters in the New Testament to the believers, that we are dead. And not only dead, look at the next few verses, in verses 2 and 3, there's... Slavery and bondage that you have and you're under when you're born to this world. And there's three mighty, powerful things that we're in slavery to and in bondage to. And it's in verses 2 and 3 and 4. And they are the world, the devil, and the flesh. The world, the devil, and the flesh. Those three things are what we are in bondage to. We're in slavery to. And so verse 2, it says... Again, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this what? The course of this world. You see, we're, we're born into this world, enslaved to the course of this world, to the culture, to the society of the world. Uh, how many of you, you would say, yes, our world hates Jesus? Have you seen that? Our world hates Jesus. The reality, it may, they may acknowledge that Jesus was a historical person, but the reality is our culture, our society, our world hates Jesus. Our world is all about instant gratification. Our world is all about wealth and prosperity. Our world is all about us and how do we please ourselves, And therefore, as a sinner, as a person who's born dead in their trespasses, we are under the enslaved to and under the bondage of the world. The good thing is this: in John 16:33, Jesus says that He has overcome the world. And as we'll see in the text here, and in a moment we'll go to 1 Corinthians, that if we are in Christ, that we too have overcome the world. And 1 John chapter 5 tells us this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, for those who are in Christ, who have faith in Christ and believe that He is the, not only the, the Son of God, but He is our Savior, then we too have overcome the world through Christ and are no longer enslaved or in bondage to the world. Yet the world will continue to lie to you even as a Christian and point you to and say, hey, you're still enslaved to the world. In Christ we are not. So we're in slavery and bondage to the world. The second thing is in verse 2. It says that following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. The devil. That we're enslaved to and in bondage to the devil. That Satan, yes, he is powerful, but he is not all-powerful. It says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient. I mean, to think this before Christ, we are demonic. Whoa, not that bad, Pastor. I'm not demonic. Well, wait a minute. If we are enslaved and following the prince of the power of error, Satan, and we're under his control, then yes, we're demonic. But we think of movies and we think of demons and scary things like, you can't say that about us. That's horrible. I've got some morality in me. No, we're demonic people. We're people that are enemies of God. You go, well, this is getting a little heavy here. Well, it says, In which you once walked, verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But remember this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, says this, Colossians chapter 2, actually I'll read in verse 13, it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, hey, same thing he was telling the church in Ephesus, he's telling the church in Colossae, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and here it is, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers. And authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So, in Christ, not only do we overcome the world, but in Christ, we overcome the devil. We overcome this demonic realm because of being in Christ. He's the one who triumphs over them. But the third sad picture of our deadness apart from Christ. It says that we're enslaved to our flesh. Look at verse 3. Back in Ephesians 2. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our what? Of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Again, we don't like to hear these verses, but if we don't understand this clearly, then you're not going to have a great, wonderful, glorious picture of God's grace. I think the more that we see how dead we are apart from Christ, then how glorious God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, and how much forgiveness means to us. Because we see where we were and where we are now in Christ. But it says that we were enslaved to and in bondage to our flesh. And a lot of times we think just physical bodies. But again, you go back to the garden. When God created Adam and Eve, he created all of creation and man and said it was what? Good. That he created our physical bodies to be good. And even though we live in a fallen world and a fallen nature here and and we struggle with uh, physical problems here, Paul is not speaking of our physical body. He's talking about being enslaved to our sinful, fallen nature. You see, the nature of the dead person apart from Christ is just a sin always is to always just be in rebellion and disobedience and sinfulness. That's the desire of the dead person who is born apart from Christ. And so, before Christ, we are vile, impure, unholy, prideful, rebellious, as it says, children of wrath. And I've had some argue with me before and say, Wait a minute, pastor, I am not that bad. I have never been that bad in my life. I've helped the ladies across the street get. You know, I've helped. I made cookies for my neighbors. I was nice to the boss when the boss was horrible. I am not that bad. Children of wrath, what are you talking about here? I could have killed that fly that was trying to eat my food, but I didn't. I mean, we try to rationalize something that is horrible. And it is horrible news. It's bad news. You were dead. James chapter 2 heaps upon that. It says for who James chapter 2 verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. Anyone ever lied in here? The Bible tells us not to lie. That's breaking God's law. James says, if you lie, you've broken all of his law. That's the seriousness, the picture of who we are apart from Christ, dead in our sins and our trespasses. And because God is holy, because God is righteous, he is without sin, Every single person apart from him deserves only the wrath of God. And I believe that too many Christian churches avoid talking about the wrath of God because we're fearful that people are going to leave the church. The wrath of God is throughout the pages of Scripture. It's very clear that the wrath of God is poured out upon those who are sinners who reject him. Romans chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 tells us of the wrath of God. Romans chapter 2 beginning in verse 5 through 11 it says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment Will be revealed. You can go and read Revelation chapter 20, which speaks of this and the wrath of God and the judgment upon all of mankind and those specifically who have rejected Him. It goes on in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, it says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Some serious stuff, right? The word of God, not the word of man. We're born dead on arrival, spiritually dead in our sins and our trespasses. And there is no hope for any of us other than to receive the wrath of God. Dead people cannot make themselves alive. And that's why the glorious thing about what God does is we see here in verses four through nine. The second thing is this that you're now alive. Paul says you were dead, but you are now alive. And this is a picture of life with Christ. Here, look at verses 4 and 5. These next couple verses are the heart of the gospel. When we speak about the the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the heart of it. This is the good news. This is what God has done to save his people from their sins. Look at verse 4 of Ephesians 2. It says, but someone. What's it say there? But who? But God. 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 Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us what? Alive, together, and here's the key, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When you see that with Christ and you continue on with him and with him and towards us in Christ Jesus, it's salvation and the work that God does to save us is Done in this union with Christ and the way he does this, and it may be hard to understand, but God did this work, and we are made alive together with Christ. So when Christ died, we died with Christ. And when Christ rose from death to life, we rose with him. And therefore, when it says that he's seated in the heavenlies, we're with Christ because we're in Christ when we've been made alive. Again, dead spiritually, no spiritual pulse for God, and God makes us alive. Let me ask you here's the quiz. Look at verse four and five. Who is it that makes us alive? Does it say we make ourselves alive? Who is it that makes us alive? What does verse four say? But who? God. Yes, we're going to talk about the work of Christ. God makes us alive. Does man make man alive? No. But yet, in a minute, hey, we want to argue a little bit. Who makes us alive? God makes us alive. There's this word you can write down. We'll we'll spend some more time when we go through this, but this word regeneration. Uh, Or you could write down the word born again. You see, what happens for the dead persons, the dead person cannot make themselves alive. The dead person cannot just go, oh my, I'm going to serve God because we're dead. So something has to happen for the dead man's heart to start beating so that it would be alive again. And that's the work, the wonderful, glorious work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit begins to work on us and regenerate our hearts and make us, in John chapter 3, born again, then our eyes are open and we say, whoa, Jesus, you did that for me? The dead man doesn't see that. And you can read this in John chapter 3, verse 3. We love John chapter 3, for God's to love of the world, right? Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. It says this. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and it says, Jesus answered him, John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must understand that being born again or this regenerating, making our heart new always, 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 always happens first before anyone exercises their faith in God. Because as we'll read on, faith is a gift that's given to us by God. Therefore, regeneration by the Holy Spirit, making our heart a stone, a heart of flesh, making a rebellious, sinful, dead heart beat for, lo- for loving Jesus happens by the Holy Spirit making us new, causing us to be born again first before we exercise our faith in Jesus. And John 3 tells us there's no way that we can enter the kingdom of God because we can't see it. A dead man's eyes do not work. We don't see the kingdom of God until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and makes our heart beat for Jesus and we place our faith in Him and are saved. Verse 6 and 7 are wonderful. It says, And raised us up with Him. With, again, it's there. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, It's like we were living in a spiritual graveyard and now being made alive, we've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Something that is hard at times to realize now while we walk this earth, but we will fully realize one day in that inheritance that's set before us that's in those first few verses of Ephesians chapter one that we looked at. What a glorious, wonderful thing. But it says that now we are raised up with him, who is the him again Christ and we're seated and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus so to picture this again 1 Corinthians 15 it says this in verses uh, 21 And 22, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man that has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And therefore, when we read in Ephesians, following that kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, it says, "For by grace you've been saved through what? In verse 8. Faith. Let's think for a minute about God's grace upon our life. The definition of grace is not love. Okay? Now, stay with me. Some of you think, well, grace and love, they go, yes, they go together. But the definition of grace is not love. Grace is unmerited favor from God. And and here's something to pay attention to the text. We are not saved by God's love. You thought about that before? It says we're saved by God's what? Grace. Because if we're saved by God's love, then it's like that picture of God just hey, everyone come on into heaven because he said he loves us. Grace is a different, wonderful, glorious picture that God does love us greatly, but he chooses to pour out his grace upon us. And so some would illustrate God saving us by his love or illustrate God's grace saving us in which I think is a horrible illustration. I've heard people say this illustration before. I've heard pastors preach this illustration before. And what they say is, we're all born on a deathbed with a disease that cannot, we cannot have any cure for. We can't fix it. Nothing for us. And what happens is we're laying on our deathbed, and God is standing there, and He has this pill. That takes away the disease, and he holds it just inches from our mouth, and God waits patiently until one day we just go, I'm taking the pill. And we're saved because that pill's Jesus. But the text says we're dead. John 3 says we need to be born again. How can the dead man even exert any energy to open their mouth and take the pill? If we do that, we take away from God's glorious work of salvation. And what happens is we tell God, God, you must rely and wait on me until the day I take the pill. Then you can save me. Do you see how that thinking is wrong? Yet I used to think that way. I used to believe that. God, I took the pill and you saved me. The truth is we're not sick. We're not born with a disease. We're dead. We're born dead in sin. We have no way to open our mouth to, 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 to receive this pill. It says that God's grace Is a gift. faith is a gift. And again if we. Take anything away from God's work. We put everything on ourselves in a sense. And what we do is we line up with every single religion. In this world. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, if there's anything that we can actually contribute to get that righteousness, uh, then we're putting everything on us and nothing on God. And verse 8 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own what? What? It's not of your own doing. It's a what? It's a gift. How many of you like gifts? I love gifts. It says, it is the gift of God, not as a result of what? Works, so that no one may boast. You see, we do exercise our faith. It is this active cause of our salvation but it's not this sense of, I took the pill. I exercised my faith. Faith is the gift that you're given. You can't exercise the faith until you're given the faith. You know, I, 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 I love playing sports growing up, and uh, I can picture some football games and some basketball games where you get all psyched up. And, you, and you're in the locker room, and I mean, we're just like—I mean, you got helmets on and everything, and you're just like plowing into your friend and smashing helmets and slapping people upside the head, and just—you know—you're—you're you're got music blurring, whatever it is, or or you get that—I don't know—just stuff. I laugh at now. You just get that intense look. You're just like trying to like psych out the other players. You're getting all fired up, and so you go run out on the field or the court, and you're like, oh man, you're all excited to play and everything. I don't—I don't know if that really helps or not, but but you know, it's kind of fun to mess around like that and do that. But again, that's something when I, I think of when someone is is able to say, well, hey, I worked up my faith in me. No, you can't breathe intense enough. You can't get all fired up and go like, but I got my faith going for Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit works in us to make our hearts renewed And we're given the gift of grace, the gift of faith that we have our eyes open and go, wow, Jesus, thank you. I believe that you are Lord, Savior, God. You've forgiven me. I place my faith in you. And that's why Paul says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Because if we can take any credit away from God, we're boasting in ourselves. And so the anti-gospel of every false religion in this world out here says, do the work so that you can be saved. Do the work so that you can be righteous. Buddhism requires that you are are, are committed, you're determined to a lifelong dedication of this noble eightfold path that one day you attain nirvana. Islam, that your purpose in Islam is to do what's right to please Allah so that he will then forgive you so that one day you can gain paradise. Mormonism teaches and believes in a gospel of works and obedience to the church so that one day you can make it to that celestial kingdom. Hindus believe that your status In afterlife is a reward or a punishment for the work you did in this life. Do you see that all false religions, all false things that say, hey, you got to do the work. It's the same thing when we try to steal glory from God and his work of salvation said, I did it. I did it. Yes, the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts so that we turn, we believe, we exercise our faith but without the Holy Spirit moving in our heart making us born again we can't do it. The gospel is based on the good news that Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life Was nailed to the cross, and there at the cross, he bore your sin. Every sin that you committed against the Father, Jesus Christ, bore your sin. And there, as he hung there, he bled and he died. But what happened is God, the Father, poured out his wrath on his Son that was meant for you. And therefore, by his bloodshed, your sins are forgiven. They're gone. As the Word of God says, they're tossed into the depths of the sea. God sees you because your faith in Christ. He sees that you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we should say amen for that. Because he sees you as his son, as his daughter, and he's adopted you, and he has an inheritance for you. And here's the great thing, is Jesus Christ, even though the glorious thing that he died for our sins on the cross and took the wrath of God, if he stayed in the tomb and was dead, we'd still be dead. But is he dead? No, he's alive. He's seated in heaven, and we're seated with him in Christ. He's returning. One day we'll have a glorified body. We'll be with Jesus forever. And it's like amazing, amazing inheritance we can't even picture. That's the good news in the gospel. And I want us to look lastly at verse 10. The third and final point is this, is you have work to do. This is life in Christ. This is not life with Christ as we were just reading, but this is life in Christ. Verse 10, and I'd say this, I actually think that I've got to come back to this next week and just look at verse 10. This is, if you're a Christian, this verse is so important for you because we all love the fact that that, that we're saved, the grace of God, it's a gift, all these things here, but I believe that so many Christians lose sight of this verse or we mix up the wording or we don't even take light of it. And what happens is we struggle as Christians every day in our walk trying to be holy people. I actually believe that we get this wrong or it's like we misread it. And here's the thing is as a Christian, if you're in Christ, I think one of the greatest struggles you have is that you forget daily your identity that in Christ you're a new creation, that in Christ, that you're in him, that you're seated with him, that you are a child of God. And you know why we forget these things? Go back to verse two and three. Remember those things that we are enslaved to, that we are in bondage to? The world, number one, The world always is telling you every single day that things are better than Jesus. So as a Christian, we always hear the constant thing. Things are better than Jesus. Things are better than Jesus. Yeah, one day I'll be a Jesus, but hey, this world, things are better than Jesus. And so there's this constant attack. What was the second thing that says we're enslaved to in verse 2 and 3? To Satan. So Satan and the demons are real. And there's a constant attack on you to say you're not worthy. ever felt that before as a Christian you're not worthy you just sinned you just blew it look at you you call yourself a Christian you're a hypocrite Satan the enemy wants you to wallow in guilt and self-pity and shame and you forget that that was who you are one time but in Christ you're made alive the Holy Spirit dwells in you That Jesus Christ's righteousness has been given to you. So God sees you and sees Christ's righteousness, says, My son, my daughter, I'm pleased with them. What's the third thing it says that we're enslaved to? The flesh. Every single day, the old man hey, remember what that was like? Remember how we loved to live that way? No, remember this, remember that, and those things always come into play. There's always a constant battle, and the wonderful thing is 1 Corinthians 10, and I think it's James chapter one, is that there's no temptation that can overcome us, but that God gives the the Christian the ability to stand up under temptation. Go read Ephesians chapter six this week. Put on the armor of God. But Christians, think about this today. Verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship. Does God make flawed things? Not at all. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You need to go back and read chapter 1. If you're struggling in this daily walk, and you're struggling with guilt and shame, and you're like, oh, woe is me in these things, you you need to go back and read chapter 1, verse 1 of Ephesians. It says, he calls the Christians saints. In verse 3, he says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself, Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance that's waiting for us. Verse 13 through 14, you heard and believed and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit so God doesn't lose you. It says, by the Holy Spirit who guarantees our inheritance. And then verse 15 through 13, two weeks ago, we saw this wonderful prayer that Paul prays that we are given the wisdom of the knowledge of God, which gives us power to life so that when it says that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, we can go do those and walk in them. Good works are not optional. We're called to do good works. We're called to go make disciples. We're called to live and act in certain ways uh, that God's called us to do that. And so we're called to go and tell people the good news. That's one of the good works we're to do. Romans chapter 10 says, how will they believe if they do not hear? Who will go and tell them? We will. We're gonna have to come back to this verse next week. Isn't God's word wonderful? Wonderful. Isn't it glorious to think that we were dead people rejecting God on arrival, and yet He pours out His grace upon us. He loves us so greatly through His Son that He forgives us. The worship team is going to come forward, and if you're here this morning and you are living as a dead person today, but the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and opened your hearts right now, I would just tell you this. As we saw a couple weeks ago, Paul says it's a mystery. We may not understand everything fully. I'll tell you this, exercise your faith in Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he rose again, and that he is coming again. He says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through him. If you're a Christian and today you're like, man, things have been tough lately, go back and read the text Go back and read chapter one and read chapter two and think about the words that describe who we are in Christ, with Christ, what Christ has done for us and rejoice in those wonderful truths. Father, I pray that as we uh, lift our voices and, and sing out to you right now, we are just so grateful, so thankful. We're so amazed by your great love for us. But we're so amazed by the fact that you have poured out your grace, which we do not deserve. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for taking our sins. We want to live for you. Protect our hearts, protect our minds. Remind us of the wonderful truths here daily. May we glorify you with every moment of our life. In Jesus' name.